Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by three reputable companies, Burrow, Squarespace, and Hover, but also by the concept of janties, something we'll discuss later in the show. I'm Simone de Rochefort, video producer at Polygon.com, and I'm here today with Christina Warren, senior cloud developer advocate at Microsoft, and Brianna Wu, Democratic candidate for Congress in Massachusetts. I feel like if we're going to talk about janties on this episode, I would prefer to have an alias for the show. Uh, Just, uh, Just... Liana, Liana Blue. Yeah, Blue. That sounds good. Yeah, Liana Blue. Liana, Liana Blue. Uh, wow, welcome to your first episode of Rockets. <laughs> I'm excited. How are you feeling? No, like, anxiety about being, you know, your first time podcasting? <laughs> yes. I, I hope I can pull together a professional uh, a professional thing tonight. Simone. I mean, maybe we should address the elephant in the, in the room so that you can go, Liana, and Brianna can come back. Uh, <laughs> the elephant in the room, or maybe I should say the camel in the room. Oh, God. <laughs> the janties. <laughs> I feel like... like I don't this hate is them. Perf- oh, no. Christina... Oh. This show is All right, go canceled. on, go on. You guys talk about it first, and I'll, I'll give my defense, and I'll give my defense later. I just needed to get that out there. I don't hate them. All right, go on. As we were preparing to record this episode of our Serious Tech podcast, in which we mm-hmm. plan to talk about Kotaku's groundbreaking report on BioWare and also how the Apple Card will work, um, Christina linked us to an article showing what appeared to be a pair of jean panties or janties, mm-hmm. as I will janties. now continue to refer oh, to no. them. Uh, apparently, they are technically shorts, but this does not change the fact that they are shaped in in the way that panties might be, or like mm-hmm. Jean Fonda's workout underwear might be, the kind you put over the leotard, or leggings, rather. Yeah, I mean, or they could be like a jean diaper. Um, that's <laughs> jean my one diaper. Kind of, that's my one kind of issue with them, is that they seem like, it could cross that line a little bit too easily. Look, all I'm saying is they're ridiculous. They're terrible. They're three hundred dollars. They're I'm not buying them, but I would wear them to Coachella. <laughs> I, I w- Everyone, take a shot. <laughs> I know, but but for for real, I would wear them to Coachella. Okay, oh. <laughs> what would you do? Um, sorry if anyone has to let, turn take your children out of the room. Right now, I'm not kidding. What would you do about your pubes and labia? <laughs> okay, so obviously, so Sorry. so obvious. Oh no, 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 fine. So obviously, wax for for for, for starters. Uh, uh, Coachella is, is is a wax environment, right? Like it, fair, it's not Burning fair. Man where you can have bush. Like it is, you have to be fully waxed, right? <laughs> so that's number one. Number two is I'm not saying I wouldn't have like a tiny pair of panties underneath them. Okay. Like, like we're wearing them as shorts. They just happen to be like super high cut, like like you know a pair of of like bikini briefs, oh like but God. full coverage back. I think I'm just saying I'm I'm perhaps, just saying I would wear them at Coachella. Okay, perhaps my I objection. Feel like God has removed his shield of protection from the United States. And that's why this happens. (laughs) Like, okay, there's a way for this concept to be done where it's not awful, but the cut of this 
is awful. Like it, it should be called like grand janties, right? Like it's it's not it's not good. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not like defending this as being like this is the most amazing concept of fashion at all. Oh, I'm hail saying janties. I, I, I I'm saying like this is bad and that no one should spend three hundred dollars on this. I'm Certainly. saying that if I were Cara Delevingne and her girlfriend Ashley Benson, and which hot, and they invited me to go, like, if I was either them or was friends with them, and they were like, Christina, we're going to go to Coachella, and like it's going to be awesome, I would be like, that's an outfit that I can put together that would be kind of hot, like with the right accessories and the right top. Why not? I'm just saying. And okay. on that note. Let's move on to our first hard-hitting tech topic of the day. Thank you, everyone, for your enlightened thoughts on Janties and uh, listeners for listening to our enlightened thoughts on Janties. I'm sure this will not be the last time that they come up. But mm, now now prepare yourself for a complete emotional segue because that's the way that we're going. Yeah, so... Jason Schreier released what I think is a very a long-awaited uh, deep dive today into what happened behind the launch of Bioware's most recent game, Anthem. Uh, if you're not familiar with Jason Schreier, he works for Kotaku, and he's his renown in the game journalism world is that he he is very good at getting sources and getting stories from behind the scenes that are very hard for a lot of people to access because games as a as a medium game companies are very very private locked down they have a lot of secrets um everything is secretive and controlled when it comes to video games so he is he's very good at breaking these stories from behind the scenes getting people to talk to him uh he did a similar thing for the launch of andromeda i believe uh, which was the last mass effect game from bioware so anthem is all is an online shooter uh which we've talked about on this show before because we thought it sucked yeah and and it failed like big time when it came out of like previews like it couldn't stay off and stuff yeah it was just extremely underwhelming in every way like two minute load screens underwhelming although they did patch that in the first week but like oh you shipped that anyway so this very very worth reading article on kotaku goes into the absolute uh, cluster muck happening behind the scenes, not only from Bi- uh, Bioware's publisher, EA, which has a history of behaving badly when it comes <laughs> to online games, uh, putting predatory microtransactions in games, um, that, like they had a role in this too, but also from Bioware, a studio which I know Brianna and I uh, have been big fans of because we love their story games, their stories. We love their inclusive characters. Uh, But the story that's laid out in this article is just one of failure from the top level at EA all the way through the management at Bioware, leaving developers kind of floundering without any direction to strike out in, working with an engine that was working against them, um, and also kind of intention with other studios other bioware studios that were supposed to be working on the game as well it is damning if i can say yeah it is and and it's fantastic reporting i I just have to say that again like uh uh jason uh did an amazing job and um 
you know, I, uh, you know, uh, uh, Stephen Totello, uh, who uh, is the editor in chief at Kotaku. I know that, I, you know, having used to been like worked in the pod next to to theirs, I can't even imagine how much vetting and 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 work went into this story, and it's it's. It's damning, as you say, but it's also just, like, terrific reporting. Like, even if you're not interested in video game stuff, even if you have no interest in Anthem, if you've ever worked on any sort of big software project or any big project in general and the the, the wheels have come off and it's just kind of been flailing from lots of different things and there have been lots of, you know, pressure points, it captures what it's like to kind of be in that scenario mm-hmm. so well. So before, before we get into the specifics of the article... Um, I, this is a hard thing to talk about because, like both of you, I really respect the reporting that went on here. Uh, ben Kuchera had a piece in Polygon today really uh, defending this piece because BioWare came out and kind of blasted the reporter and made some really personal, un, you know, unsubstantiated yeah. allegations about him. I I do feel like just for our listeners – Edification, I, I think there's another narrative about him from game developers in the industry, which is the way he tends to get these uh, scoops from people is he basically gets like a list of every single employee at BioWare or former employee at BioWare and will go through and just hound people on social media in a way that really has a reputation of being more aggressive than what we're used to with reporters. So um, he got the goods here and he's an investigative reporter. It's not not his job to be anyone's friend. But I do want to say there is a a narrative out of the Andromeda team that is his piece kind of damning that that development cycle was not accurate. And mm. I've I've talked to many people on that team that feel that way. I did not that feel know like that. he he got a few people that had really negative things to say, and presented their position as if it was the whole picture. Sure. And I'm I I didn't work on this team. I don't have a conclusion. All I can base on is like his story here, which seems very credible. I just want to put that out there. That is yeah. a narrative and- about this reporter. And that's fine. I mean, the one thing I would say, just because the not to say that that every person who works at you know Gizmodo Media Group follows the same type of reporting things or or, or whatnot, because it's not, and each site runs differently. But you know, the way investigative journalism works is, as you said, you're not someone's friend. And I do understand that in the game industry, which tends to be um, kind of like the, the 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 film industry, where you you kind of have these blurred lines in some ways you know you're trade press but you're also you know trying to be critical and you you, sometimes especially when things start out as almost like fanzines it's like where does the line cross over between being you know too close to being like actual investigative stuff but like the way that you get information and i can say this like because i've done this myself is yeah you go through linkedin you go through whatever you find every single person and you reach out and you get whoever will talk to you to talk to you now the, the 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 part of that that can be um, understandably upsetting for people on the other side, as you can say, well, this didn't capture my experience and, and maybe what what we think went on there. On the flip side, if people aren't willing to talk, 
then mm. the story that's going to come out is going to be the story that the people who are willing to talk said. So, yep. you know, so 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 for good or for ill, right? Like and 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 that can mean that people are are overly complimentary when things might have been a disaster um or 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 things might not have been good or it can mean that the people who are willing to talk might have had their own axe grind and whatnot. I think that's up for for readers and people to keep in mind, but I would say like I you know, knowing him a little bit and knowing the process Usually people, I would say definitely for, for Jason, I, I, again, I'm not speaking for him, but, but the way that these sorts of things work is you rarely, some, of course, some reporters are going to do this, but you rarely go into it with one sort of narrative in mind. Your narrative becomes shaped based on who's willing to talk to you. So yeah. mm-hmm. I completely understand and can like sympathize with people who say, this didn't reflect my experience, you know, on, on Andromeda and, and, and this maybe represented things in a different way. That's fair. And no one should be required to speak to the press. I want to say that too. But when these sorts of things happen, good investigative reporters are going to literally knock down every door and the people who talk to them, that's going to be the story that's told. So that is good context. And now let's move into the specifics of the article. Now, Brianna, I know you are bound to have feelings about this as a game developer who has worked with development engines like Unreal. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the Frostbite engine, um, which is at the sort of the top level of the problems with this game. It is an in-house engine that was created by DICE, I believe, um, which mm-hmm. yep. EA wants to use on all of the games that all of their uh, development studios uh, produce to save costs, basically, on licensing something like Unreal or Unity. Yeah, they don't want to pay Unreal money. Unity is probably not going to be robust enough, so rather than doing that, they have their own game engine. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But it's full Um, of problems. (laughs) So so this is... This is a theme that runs throughout this. Like, if I had to point at any uh, single variable that seems to be why this game and Mass Effect Andromeda, based on the reporting that we have, uh, and Christy, I just want to say I agree with every point you just made. I am personally more empathetic towards the press point of view here. I just wanted to give readers context sure. of what people in the game industry are saying. Um, the The big thread that seems to go through all of this is you've got an accountant, right? You've got an MBA, you've got some, you know, some business development person, right? That looks at the numbers and goes, oh, well, we could save so much money on Unreal Engine if we just had everyone use Frostbite. <laughs> and sure, it's a it's a decision that makes sense from an accounting point of view. But in this story, you read about it and it's a it's an engine like they've been working on Unreal Engine since the freaking nineties. Okay. Yeah, right. These are very complete systems. And it's hard to think of a, like you can get in there and you can customize it. If something doesn't exist, you can change it. If you're going through and developing a proprietary kind of engine, when the Anthem team is trying to do things like have randomized weather effects that change things very quickly. You know, if your engine is built to do one thing very specifically, it is very difficult to change that and make it improve. And I will say it's throughout the entire industry. You can find tons of people that just don't want to work with Frostbite. 
They don't think it's well documented. They think it's buggy. It's hard to get support on it. Um, and that seems to be the big, um, like from a technical perspective, it's so hard to like fix bugs and get this engine updated to do what you yeah. need to do. Mm-hmm. It's just bad. And it would seem like beyond that, like in addition to to the bugs that exist, like Frostbite, it feels like was built for one type of game and not for the type of game that Anthem both started out as, which was right. one thing, and then mm-hmm. what it evolved into. Because there were a couple of different threads here. I mean, there was obviously the technical challenges that they had with the game engine, which which was brought up over and over and over again. Um, but but in addition to that, you had like the scope of the game, the type of game, the mechanics, the story, you know, the genre changing over the, you know, seven years that it was it was in development. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, I think one of the most <laughs> frustrating things about this is uh, they, they've said now for the next game that is being developed by Bioware. They're working with the code base that was developed for Anthem that adds all these new assets or new systems that they needed. But what they didn't do was use what had already been developed for Dragon Age Inquisition, another game that was built in Frostbite uh, that was a type of game that wasn't a natural fit for Frostbite that they had to develop a bunch of new stuff for, like a third-person camera view and an inventory management system um, which is stuff that's also included in Anthem. And from my understanding, they had to build those things from the, like a whole other team had to devote time to building those things. Like that to me is a bigger waste of money than licensing Unreal Engine. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, well, and I think that you, you bringing up uh, Dragon Age, I mean, what was so interesting with kind of one of the threads that, that's in this story is that, you know, people kind of blame the success of that game for, convincing the management at BioWare for thinking that they could just kind of push things out, pressure people, and throw it all at the kitchen sink, and it would eventually come together in the end. Because the backstory with with, with, with Dragon Age uh, Inquisition, that's the game, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, was, was that apparently everything was in disarray up until a couple of months before, you know, it came out. And, and then, then that last, like, nine months, the game came together. And then not only was it successful... But it was like game of the year, you know, it was this this huge success. And so it convinced, you know, management, we can be haphazard and not take maybe the complaints about the tooling seriously and maybe take other complaints seriously because, hey, it worked out with 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 Dragon's Age. Yes. So it's going to be fine here. And that just continued to perpetuate really negative, um, uh, frankly, like like software development and release cycle stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, I, I don't know that much about game development other than what I've read and, and talking to, to people like Brianna. But, you know, I do know a lot about software development stuff. And like everything you're reading in this article is just worst practice after worst practice after worst practice, bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. But it's being perpetuated by this unbridled, like, kind of thought that, like, hey, we pulled it off last time. Yes. Like, I think they even had a term for it, like, Bioware magic. Hey, we we, we pulled it out of our, our – we pulled the rabbit out of our ass last time. So we're going to be able to do it this time, too. Yeah. And that's where I really have to point the finger at Bioware. Um, like, not saying EA is blameless, but the problem's – run deep in the original studio as well. A lot of people like to blame EA for everything and everything. And I mean, they've, uh, they do things, but this was clearly on a management and Bioware level, a recurring problem that they got away with, with other games and weren't able to get away with, um, on Andromeda and on Anthem. 
And it seems less like a fluke and more like karma finally coming to, or the chickens finally coming to roost. Can can I ask you about that, Simone? Because I think, I mean, my read of this is there's plenty of criticism for both. I mean, it's, it was EA that is pulling people off of the Anthem team because they have frostbite experience to go work on FIFA, on FIFA which yeah, is the, that's the game problem. that's their biggest seller. I think you could point plenty of blame at Bioware in so far as get there there was never a moment where the product itself was in development. It was in beta, it was in beta. Mm-hmm. They were trying different ideas up until like a year before they launched. And then they're like, oh, time to produce a game and we don't even know what our features are going to be yet. Um, you know, like that's fair to critique Bioware from. It's fair to critique Bioware because the the article opens up talking about how people are put on like three-month mental health breaks <laughs> because they're suffering from such intense depression. That is an unconscionable failure of leadership. Massive, yeah. massive. That, and that's fair to critique them from. But what I feel like I'm reading from this um, is that a lot of these problems stem from EA. Frostbite stems from EA not making Bioware priority because other games make more money is a problem that stems from EA, kind of the 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 musical studios, right? Where yeah. these employees are going between the three Bioware studios, and one magically gets shut down. Like that's on EA. So, I mean, that seems like the major variable to me. Well, I mean, I think I think EA definitely d- d- takes a lot of blame for this, but I also feel like you know, in some ways, Bioware likes to act like it operates as an independent entity, right? Like if EA is grabbing people off of it, then that is bad. But I mean, if, if your game is of that much importance, or if you're going to hit deadlines, then I'm going to say, if you're Bioware management, you fight to get more resources. Okay, we have to give these engineers over to FIFA. And look, from a business standpoint you're not going to win that argument. You're not going to win the argument and say, hey, no, Anthem really is important and needs these people. You know, the people who make the money are like, no, this game actually pays for your salaries. We're taking them. Fine. But, you know, make arguments to get, uh, you know, other people brought up to speed. But you mentioned the multiple studios. One of them was shut down. Where I would actually fault Bioware here in some ways, and, and this is a cultural thing, and this predates EA, is the fact that they, both within the game community... And within internally, there was this idea of, you know, being like the A team, the B team, the C team. And like the the A team was the Edmonton office. The B team were the people in Austin. And then the C team was the, the, the people in Montreal. And that ended up getting shut down. Well, the B team, in this case, the Austin branch, actually had experience with online games and with, with building online worlds, whereas the A team did not. And the A team didn't listen to the B team and, and wouldn't. I to me, you know, unless there's some serious micromanagement on EA's part, and I seriously doubt that just because it's such a sprawling company, they have so many studios under them. That's something that has been systemic at Bioware for a long, long time. And when you're getting into new territory for Bioware, when you're doing this sort of online stuff and you're, you know, for these types of games and for, for a game like Anthem, and you're not taking the recommendations or listening to the critiques or to the feedback from your own partners at another at, in another location mm-hmm. like that to me really underscores how toxic bioware as as a as a as a kind of initiative must be you know cuz how frustrating would it be if you're working on the 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 star wars stuff you have experience building these online worlds you know things that are going to work and not work and you see this other team trying to reinvent the real 
doing things wrong and then not listening to you because they have this belief that, oh, well, we're from the OG studio and and we're the we're the real bioware. So we don't yeah. have to listen mm-hmm. to you. And for me, I think it was uh the comparisons to Destiny and the Division, which uh, it mentions in the article. Those games are specifically like they're in the looter shooter genre. They would be the yep. competition for Anthem, but leadership within BioWare didn't want to hear about those games, I guess ostensibly out of a fear of like, oh, we don't want to be seen as copying them. But when you have a or wildly we think we're better successful, than them or whatever. Yeah, we, we're going to be better than them. When you have a wildly successful game or any property that's working in your genre, you have to learn from what they're doing right and maybe look at them to find out what where they are doing, where you could do better than them. But you have to be familiar with them and you have to make that comparison to be able to do that. And the fact that they wanted to be seen like they would rather have been compared to Diablo three than a game that was in their genre that they, that is literally competing with them right now is destiny two and the division two are um, that to me shows a weird stubbornness. Um, and then also that idea of Bioware magic that Christina mentioned earlier. Um, there's this stunning anecdote in here Um I'll read it out loud. Uh, Veteran Bioware developers like to refer to production as a hockey stick. It's flat for a while, and then it suddenly jolts upward. Even when a project feels like a complete disaster, there's a belief that with enough hard work and enough difficult crunch, it'll all come together. And that's kind of the model. It's implied that had been that had worked on Andromeda. Worked on Dragon Age Inquisition. That was a a mess for a long time, but it came out, and it was actually really good, and a lot of people loved it, and it got praise. And I think if if it becomes part of your company culture to be like, don't worry, it's going to feel like hot crap and everyone is going to feel awful about it until it comes out and is actually great. That's bad. That yeah, that's not good company culture. And that's not going to like it doesn't feel good. It's exhausting to work on something that you think is bad, even if eventually it will turn out OK. And that just it, both of those anecdotes to me just show a. Uh, a studio whose leadership is kind of out of touch with what needs to be yeah. done. And that doesn't in yeah. any way negate the negative effects that EA had on the company because they certainly have. No, no, because EA certainly, I think, had problems But it's too. kind of just a, all together. It's a big, bad suit. Yeah, it, completely. And I mean, I think what's what's disappointing, you know, is you have to think about all these game developers and engineers and artists and, and, and writers who worked so hard on this for so many years and really wanted to build something great. Right. Yeah. And 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 that's the, like the tragedy in this is that because of of, of poor leadership and and poor decisions, like it it it, it like didn't really like have a chance. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it doesn't seem like it. And so you know, and you wonder if it can be salvaged because Destiny, which was you know the game that they did not want to take any cues from, had a rough start, but wound up doing well and being successful and, and finding a really good audience and improving over time, especially after reading this report and kind of seeing how demoralized everyone is and seeing how many people have had to take, you know, stress leave and, 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 you know, the, the working conditions, I don't know, like what, what does Bioware do here? Like, I mean, do you just write this off? I mean, this is a massive investment, but it doesn't seem like 
they have the wherewithal to know how to fix it because from the planning process onward, like they never really had a clear 80-foot view of what the game was supposed to be because mm-hmm. it changed so many times. And while we chew on that problem, I will let you know that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Burrow. Home. It's a great place to be. You want everything in your home to feel right. You want your fo- home to be full of things that you love. Things that suit the way that you live. Like a functional toilet. Well... Burrow is rethinking how people shop for and live with their sofa. That's right. They have nothing to do with my broken toilet. They easily let you (laughs) customize and purchase a high-quality sofa online, which can be shipped for free in one week. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Burrow sofa adapts to your life. It is scratch and stain resistant, so you don't have to worry about spilling on it. Check Confirmed. It has a built-in USB charger so that you can charge your devices right from the sofa. Seen it. Know it's there. The fabric is totally free of harmful chemicals, and the frame is made from sustainably sourced hardwood. I believe that. And it's a sofa that grows with you. You can make the burrows bigger at any time by adding new pieces. They're all like... They, they slot together. I could add a section. I could make my sofa into a sectional if I wanted. That's a thing that I could do. I won't because it will take up my entire small New York, New York apartment. I can make my sofa smaller if I wanted. Heck. And you can easily set up and disassemble them with no tools required. But oh, sofas are designed for comfort. You can customize every detail from the low armrests or stylish high armrests. I got the low armrests. Uh, their proprietary foam is supportive. Yes, super cozy. And they also have a stylish line of pillows and throws. Uh, that you can match to your beautiful sofas. Uh, They're made from soft hand-woven fabric, ready to complement your living room. Personally, just going back to that previous point about easy easy setup and disassembly, I didn't even have to do that because they did it for me. They delivered it and set it up. That was great. Uh, And I am still enjoying my sofa. I think it's been about two months now. It's so gosh darn comfy and I'm constantly lying on it and then asking my roommate if she wants me to move my legs so that she can lie <laughs> on it and I don't I don't move my legs they just I just You're lie bad there roommate. I am a bad how, roommate. Is it for, how is it for sleeping on I want to hear about what the nap situation is like it's great because it, it's actually pretty wide so it's wide enough for her and I to like sit on each end and then have our legs out on the sofa um, yeah it's great uh, Dual nap time. Yeah, it's super duper cozy for that, it, especially just because it's so like there's no awkwardness of like squashy pillows getting in your face or whatever. It's it's very streamlined. I love sofa. Burrow was recently named, and I love it even more than now that I've paid it off my credit card, baby. Burrow was recently named one of the best inventions of 2018 by Time Magazine, and you can get $75 off your award-winning Burrow sofa by visiting burrow.com/rocket. I'm sure they've won all uh, like other awards, but the real award that you'll win is the award of best living room from all your friends. That is B U R R O W. Burrow.com slash Rocket for $75 off your first order. Thank you so much, Burrow, for your support of Rocket and Real AFM. Bree, do you have any final thoughts on uh, Christina's point of what, do, what does BioWare do to fix this? 
I, I think it's dead on, right? Like you've got to, there, there fundamentally has to be a leadership change at Bioware. Uh, we didn't really talk about uh, Bioware's very defensive statement that they put oh, out before. Oh my God. Oh, we got to get into that. Yeah, before it even went to oh. press. Uh, I'll sum it up just super Please quickly. Do. Like basically, yeah. uh, Jason sent them a bullet pointed uh, list of what was going to be in the article. Basically, seconds after it published, they put this out, uh, basically saying, well, we don't appreciate you blaming individual employees, even though his piece doesn't do that. Mm-mm. It's very defensive. It's like, how dare you? We don't think like uh, just spewing hate about this game is helpful. And uh, Ben Kachera wrote an excellent piece we'll link to in the um, in the, the show notes, basically saying the press is not your enemy. Light being shined on this process is the only thing that's going to help Bioware employees. Mm-hmm. They are hemorrhaging people from the company as just a fact. Uh, you know, and until EA and Bioware has a real come-to-Jesus moment about the fact that they've killed what I think is the most special, important studio in all of gaming and have created an environment where they can't thrive. Uh, I think the truth is, Simone, I don't know how you feel, but they announced a new Mass Effect game tomorrow. I would assume it's not going to be good. And they've, they really, they, they've got some work to do. And if I can say one, and if I can say one thing too about their yeah. blaming of the press, given everything that's happened with Gamergate and that erroneous thing of saying, you know, it's about ethics and game journalism and this and that, I thought that that was a really gross dog whistle yep. to go mm-hmm. in that way because a the press are are, are not your friends, um, and 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 they shouldn't be. And the way that that, that they frame things and try to kind of go after Jason, go after Kotaku, and seemingly, in my opinion, try to kind of rile up their fan base to to you know go after people because they didn't like a, a, an accurate business and investigative story. Um, given what has happened in the last few years in in the gaming world, just was to me just really really gross and and. And I, I'm really disappointed that Bioware did that, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, it was nasty. They, they, in the statement, specifically said, like, we made this game for the fans. We want the fans to be happy, et cetera. And it's like, that's that has zero to do with a piece about your employees needing three-month mental health leave. I hope that no yeah. fan gives a crap about what the company is doing for them personally when the people who actually make the game are suffering mentally. So that is my thought on that. Disappointing all around. Unfortunate. Let's talk about that Apple credit card. (laughs) So I might get one now. Oh, Christina, what am I going to do with you? No, the technical details actually made some compelling cases why this might be an okay card. The interest, the, the interest rate notwithstanding, I still think the interest rate is BS. I still think the cashback thing is not as good as what I get with Chase Sapphire Rewards. But I feel like, or 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 my Amex like uh, cashback cards. But some of the technical details about how this card works does make it slightly more compelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Matthew Panzerino over at TechCrunch has done a a deep dive into everything we know so far about how the Apple Card works. Uh, do you want to elaborate a little bit on what you're saying about the interest rate? So the interest rate is between 13 and 26%, I guess, depending on on your qualification. I mean, look, if you could get approved for 13%, 
that's not great, but it, it, it's certainly not like one of the industry leading things. If you are on the high end and you get 26%, I don't care what they say about no late fees. That's an insanely high interest rate on a credit card. And frankly, if that's the sort of rate, I'm not a financial advisor. Uh, and also my own finances could definitely use some work. But the things I have learned about improving my own credit score and, and trying to get my own finances into shape is that if I were approved for a card with that high of an interest rate, I would rather get like a secured card that is, you know, like you basically, you know, promise a certain amount of money on and build credit that way. Or I'd rather get a charge card like an American Express where you have to pay the balance off each month Mm -hmm. rather than being saddled with something that when you have compounding interest, you're going to be in just in, in months, you know, paying double for your purchase. So you know that that high of an interest rate to me is 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 not good for anybody i don't care mm-hmm. how good you know the, the 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 terms of the card are if you have something with that high of an interest rate you you damn well make sure that you are paying that off in full every month otherwise like you know, it's just that that's just that's just ridiculous. It's 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 borderline predatory. Now, I'm not saying Apple's predatory. Uh, Goldman Sachs might be another story, but I think interest rates that high in general are not good. And if that's what you're being approved for, like I said, getting like a secured card through your bank or getting a charge card where you have to pay it off every month might be a better option for you. Mm-hmm. But what attracts you to the card? So what attracts me to the card is the fact that it is kind of um, creating virtual numbers on the fly when you're making purchases. So there's not really like a number per se. Like at first I thought it was just kind of like my um, Rose Gold American Express card where it has my name on it. Um, on the back, it's not embossed anywhere. It's literally just like typed. Like so, if somebody made like an imprint of my card, they wouldn't get anything. Oh. But there is there is like a card number, right? Um, but, but in this case, you don't actually have like a stayed credit card number. It can change on the fly. You can either regenerate it as you want, or with each retailer, they get a different card. Meaning that for fraud purposes, if somebody were to like, say if Target was hacked, like when Target was hacked and everybody's, you know, um, data from, from, from the mag say, you know, mm-hmm. so on the cards was, was taken. In this case, it would have been like a one-off number. So if somebody tried to use that that number again, that number could just be voided, but you could still continue to use your card without having to order a new one from the bank, which I've had to do many, many times when, yeah, you know, my, 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 my check card has been, you know, uh, you know, somebody like Chipotle or whoever gets hacked and I all of a sudden have to update my, um, you know, credit card uh, number with, a million different places. It's happened so many times that I literally have a file. I have it in, in Notes app. I literally have a list of every place that has my credit card, and I have to go back and update it. Now, some companies do have technologies in place where if it's been updated, they can kind of update automatically from the bank. Yeah, it was very cool to me that that was something that you could just do yourself. Like if you knew you were buying something from a sketchy place and you were like, oh, okay, I'm just going to totally quick change my number now. That's right. Cool. And like there have been and there have been services that have done this for a while. Um, like a, that TechCrunch piece mentioned a, a startup called privacy.com, yeah. um, which uh, I, I've used before. PayPal actually back in the day used to let you do this oh, and, wow. and it was awesome. But they they stopped. Bank of America lets you do it. There are a couple of others. But the fact is that being able to do it on the fly on your card is really cool. And also the fact that, you know, um, that the, 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 the you're not having, you're not kind of tied to like a permanent kind of number, I think is really smart. From a security standpoint, it really takes the value of getting a big, 
you know, cache of credit card numbers away if those numbers are inherently transient, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if they're inherently impermanent, then okay, so I have a million of these things, who cares? Like I can't use it again. And so I like that a lot. Yeah, I do too. As someone who, you know, I deal with, I deal with people trying to hack me constantly. And mm-hmm. I've had to switch like entire digital identities probably seven times since Gamergate. Uh, so I read this piece and I should say I, I am an adult and I've never had a credit card that I've, I've used. I just don't believe in them. Mm-hmm. Part of it is I, I don't really have the self-control that I know that yeah. I would, you know, like I would put a bunch of stuff on there and then I'd find myself paying 20% interest rate or whatever. Um, that said, I could absolutely see myself getting this and using it on a very much a like keep it one month and pay it back kind of thing. Like if you're going to the Apple store and say you're dropping you know $1500 on uh you know like a, a top of the line 11 inch uh, iPad Pro, which is a fantastic device. Uh, the amount of cash back you're going to get on this, like that, that three percent, that's that's non-trivial in that case. So even if you like leave the store and you pay it right back, um, yeah, it's not a small amount of money to save on that purchase. So mm-hmm. um, you know, I I could see myself getting this card for my very first credit card. That said, uh, Christian, before we move on, I want to say I also really agree with you on the cybersecurity stuff. That is what excites me. Uh, the fact that you you never really have access to your own number. Uh, you can get a number for when you need to do it on external websites. But I just, um, it, it seems like a step in the right direction. And I, I too, am probably going to end up getting this. Why this and not a different card, Brie? Well, I mean, part of it is I should probably have a credit card at some point. Yeah. Right? Like I've just gotten by without it my whole life because uh, I don't believe in them. So you like the security about it. Do you also like the fact that you could be part of the sort of, it could be part of your existing Apple life? Yeah. I, I like Christina, spend a non-trivial amount of money at Apple. I just do, right? Mm-hmm. So the cash back on that with the cybersecurity that's what interests me about this. So, um, you know, maybe I'll get it and it'll suck and I will just cut it up and never use it again. That's entirely possible too. But um, after the, the TechCrunch article allayed most of my fears about this card. So it seems like mm. not a good deal, but not a terrible deal either. The one thing I would say, Brie, if if because I'm like you in that I haven't had a lot of credit cards. There was a identity theft situation when I was young that impacted some things, and then I just made choices not to just to to deal in cash or, or check card. I would say um, the Apple Card might be a really good first credit card, especially since you do spend a non-trivial amount on um, uh, Apple stuff. But I would also look into getting an American Express card, whether it's a, a charge card or a credit card, um, hmm. just because I personally find, A, their customer service to be fantastic. A lot of their benefits are really good, especially if you travel a lot or Ooh. if, um, like, because uh, they give you priority pass, they give you access to certain lounges, depending on what card you get, you get a certain amount of money towards, you know, different um, you know, travel purchases. They have really good insurance on things. This is the big thing, and I'm not sure if Apple does this, but both Chase and American Express have, um, and, and and some of the city cards too, will double your manufacturer warranty 
Um, and some of them will also do like loss and like uh, theft protection on items. And those Ooh. types of things can really come in handy. So I look into some of those things too, if you are looking at getting a credit card. Um, not to say that that you have to get one, but like I've been, I, I have a, a number of American Express cards. No, they do not pay me. Yes, they they are more than willing to if they would like to sponsor Rocket. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but they, but, but, but one of the things, I do have like a peace of mind with that, that I don't know because I don't know what all the terms of this card would be where if I buy something and it's stolen, it's covered or there's like a, a six, like a six month, like, um, accidental, like damage policy thing, as well as like doubling the manufacturer warranty on stuff, which mm-hmm. can be really useful. Um, and, and like definitely worth whatever the, um, you know, uh, annual fee is. Makes sense to me. I will say finding like researching credit cards is one of the most miserable activities that a human being can do. Um, And I appreciate people like uh, Matthew here who break it down, but oh my God. And there are so many, I know there are so many resources for that online, but it is. Nerd wallet's a really good one. The hard, the hard thing about the resources online is that they all get spiffs based on how many signups they get. So some of them are going to push you towards one card because Mm -hmm. they get a really big kickback from that card maker. So it's hard to kind of find unbiased things. I do find Nerd Wallet to be good for travel-oriented people. The points guy is pretty good, but Matthew did a really good job um, yeah. of breaking down how the card works. So yeah, I'm still not interested in this card uh, because no, of the you. yeah previous reasons I outlined about not wanting Apple to be part of my financial life. Um, but I do appreciate the security that is very cool to me. Well, what's what's hopeful, and then we move on for other thing, is that even if, like, this could be an example of Apple potentially pushing the rest of the industry forward, because like if because credit cards are competitive, so if if one card has one feature, you start to see other ones get another because it it it's they they make a lot of money, and and so mm-hmm. if these features prove to be you know powerful, I could see other cards adopting this. The one thing I will say about this that is stunning to me, and I I understand, but I don't. So my American Express card has tap to pay. Now, this is not very common in the United States, but throughout Europe, um, and I can say this because I've spent so much time overseas in the last few months, um, tap to pay is everywhere. Uh, We are so far behind in the United States on payment technology in general, like it is not even funny. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and tap to pay will work places where Apple Pay won't, right? So it basically, you just tap your card, you pay. Um, They are not doing contactless payment on this card. If you want to use contactless payment, it has to support Apple Pay. Now, most NFC readers will support Apple Pay, but not all of them. And there are plenty of places overseas who have NFC readers that don't, you know, that that were integrated and and were part of the systems before Apple Pay and and Android Pay and, and Samsung Pay became, you know, known things. So I get why they want to make Apple Pay on your phone or your watch, like the contactless, like payment point, I get it. But like, come on, you're designing this beautiful titanium card. Just put the contactless thing in it. Like that would be a net benefit in my yeah, opinion. Moving, at the, at, really at, moving at, the needle forward. Well, cause, well, cause the thing is, is like, I get it. You're trying to convince everybody to just use your, your, your phone. And that's wonderful. But if you are going to make me take my card out, like just make it that much more seamless. I'll be much happier to use the card. Yeah. Anyway, and rant. This episode of Rocket is also brought to you by Squarespace. Woo. Make your next move with Squarespace. Did you know? Did you know? Did you know that Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea? 
with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Perhaps the thing that you would like to create is an online store. Perhaps you would like a portfolio. Maybe you would like to join the ranks of the world's greatest bloggers. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed, folks. You don't have to worry about it. Squarespace has it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help along the way. And they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates that they have are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Here's a website that was made with Squarespace. Elizabeth Planks, actually. I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure. I uh, was looking at it because she's really great and cool. Um, And she has done... She is the only person I know who has done a website with, like, uh, a background that is a color. Like, not white or grayscale or cream or whatever. It's pink. But it doesn't look like sh**. Which... (laughs) Let me put a timestamp in there. (laughs) Is the only time I've seen that. So if you want to uh, see a good-looking website that was made on Squarespace, check that out, folks. All right, Uh, let me tell you the details so that you can go on in your life and make your own beautiful thing. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash rocket. And then when you decide to sign up, use that offer code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain and show your support for Rocket. Once again, that is squarespace.com slash rocket and the offer code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you so much, Squarespace, for your support of Rocket and Relay FM. Oh, well, well, well. It's that time. It's that New time. Elizabeth Holmes content. It's oh the Renosa clock. <laughs> so I was a dummy, y'all, and I did not. Have not yet, have not yet, I will say, because I will do it, watched the Theranos documentary on HBO. Can you each say on a scale of one to ten how much of a dummy I've been? Uh, I I mean, this has maximum Elizabeth Holmes, like, bug eyes, right? Like, it's it's all about her face. I think that's what one of the reviews said is, like, obsessed with her face. Like, literally, like, all you can focus on is that, at least for the bulk of the time that she was famous, like someone was really nice about her angles and knew how to photograph, like how to photograph her well. And it like trained her, if not how to condition her hair properly. Uh, <laughs> this is for all the people who are mad at me, like uh, negging on Tom Hiddleston on Twitter. And I stand by that. His hair oh, looked bad. No. They're like, oh, you would, they're like, oh, you wouldn't do this about a woman. Oh, I'm saying about one now. Her hair bad, right? <laughs> like, like, I'm, like, like, like I'm an equal opportunity offender. Her hair bad, but like, even if she didn't know how to do hot oil treatments, somebody was at least smart enough to, like, know how to tell her how to, like, carry her face and to like, be photographed in a certain way to, like, avoid some of the weirdness in her chin and her eyes. Uh, but this, uh, yeah, no, uh, this, uh, uh, Alex Gibney really loves to just to just zoom in on photos of her eyes. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of amazing. I, I feel like I think she's gorgeous. I think she could use oh, really? better. I, I think she's attractive. I don't. Okay. I, don't I, I don't think she's gorgeous in the slightest. I, okay, gorgeous maybe. I'm not going to rate it on the 
just looks hey let's talk about the content of the documentary yeah yeah. i well no but part of it this is partially relevant because the whole thing is that her scam was was aided in parts by her looks i'm simply saying that is relevant she's I'm not saying she's an ugly person. I'm saying someone knew how to frame her and put her best assets forward and that some of her assets maybe aren't the best. Look, we all as humans, male, female, uh, non-binary, like have, we know our, our you know, there, in some circumstances we look better than others. But I'm just That's saying, true. I do think this is fair. I do think this is this is fair game when her looks were used as part of this perpetuation. I don't feel like that's un. I don't feel like it's out of balance to discuss aspects of that. that That's all I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not negging her just for her. One of the points of this, I liked her the most is when, uh, there's a scene in the movie, it ends with it, uh, when Theranos is basically overhyping, like, what was it? Their mini lab or something, uh, gets approved. And there's a scene where Elizabeth Holmes kind of lets down her hair and she walks out and gives a quick speech in front of, uh, Theranos, uh, to MC Hammer playing. And it's like, you see this young woman, she's just like genuinely happy and out there. Really, I thought it was relatable, like nerd girl stuff. I'm like, I'm like, I I like that version of her, right? Yeah. You see, I don't know. I got the sense that wasn't really her at all. Like, she seems so stiff. Like, that's interesting that we we perceive that differently. Because I looked at that and like, there was this this, uh, uh, really cute girl in the front who like was an employee who was dancing and was like getting down with it and yep. like and had some moves like that girl like I related to like that girl was cool but Elizabeth Holmes like she's walking she doesn't even start dancing until she's like practically on stage it felt forced it felt fake it felt I don't know the whole thing just felt like not who she is I don't okay. know maybe but but but, I, but, yep, but, but I mean yeah. but but maybe but but your your I mean your your interpretation is just as valid as anything else's but that was kind of the whole thing I kind of got from the documentary. I, I do want to say two things. One, I think that um, Rebecca Jarvis's podcast, The Dropout, is better than this documentary. I agree. Um, I strongly agree. Uh, which, um, so, uh, and 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 we were very lucky to get to interview Rebecca uh, before her podcast blew up. But if you are really wanting to kind of get a deep dive, I would say John Carrier's book is like, has the most information, but I think the Rebecca podcast and ABC um is really good. I think that was better than than this documentary. Um, but the big thing I kind of took away from this documentary, the interesting, well, there were a couple things. One is is that kind of to that point, like, and and this is the thread throughout uh, the entire Theranos saga, which to me I think is why this whole thing is so fascinating. We don't know who she is. Yep. Yep. Like like Anna Delvey, who's like our, the patron saint of this podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, By the way, we haven't ask, even mentioned her having a stylist for her court oh, date, well, I was, which is I was amazing. Get that. Yes. Very oh, good. Which is fantastic. The fact that like they are going to H&M and other places and styling her. She knows what's going on, right? Also, her hair now. Girl, girl, like read those articles or heard about them. It's like, oh, my hair looked bad. No, she's had hot oil treatments in jail. Like she... She looks great. I love it. Like, again, patron saint of this podcast, Anna Delby, we love you, or at least I love you. Like, I salute you. Like, you do you. But, like, I know who Anna Delby is, right? Like, she's a scamster for sure, but she's not even, like, being, like, like she's flagrant about it, which mm-hmm. I kind of respect. Elizabeth <laughs> Holmes, like, I don't know who she is, and I don't know what her end scheme is, there's right? A like, kind, there's a level to Elizabeth Holmes where it's almost like you don't know if she's admitted to herself that she's a scammer. Whereas with Anna Delvey, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, you knew. You, yeah. you, you played us, girl. 
with Elizabeth Holmes, it's like, does she honestly believe in everything that she's doing? Yes. Which is the yes. question. Well, I mean, yes. I, I think part of her does is the delusion, but part of me wonders like when that started because was really, and, and unfortunately, this is one of my critiques of the documentary. The documentary, in my opinion, doesn't go enough into how far back the deceit started. Um, the book does a really good job, and 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 um, uh, the the podcast especially shows that she started lying to people really, really early on, right? And then she just kind of cycled through employees, and and you know by the time the the media narrative, you know, made her famous and caught up, you know, she had this 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 line that she'd been giving out, but she'd started lying and 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 deceiving people really early into the company's tenure, and and the documentary. I think my, my biggest problem with it is it doesn't make it seem that way. Cause I was watching it with, with someone and he was, we were, we kept pausing and talking about it. And he was like, Oh no, you know, do you think that she really had a technology and she just kind of got too far ahead of herself. And then she just, you know, kind of got into this. And I was like, no, she knew when she was making these claims and making these promises and raising this money, she knew in 2006, she knew in 2005, like this wasn't one of those things where, Oh, all, all of a sudden, you know, I have I have to, you know, come up with a lie to cover things. It's like, no, she told these lies to get this funding and get these high-powered people on her side. Like, it was a concentrated effort. The big question is, was she lying in the idea under the sense of delusion that she would eventually figure it out and would it all work out? Did which was that the initial thing, and then she just started believing her own hype, and it didn't matter anymore, or was there something more nefarious going on? And that I don't know. Like to yeah. me, that's what's so interesting about Elizabeth Holmes is I don't know what her game is. Like I don't know what her scam is. Like Anna Delvey, Martin Screlly, I know what their scam is. Billy McFarland, I know what their I know what their game is. Elizabeth Holmes, I, I agree with what you're saying, Brie. Like I think she's delusional and, and and utterly believing that like she's in the right. But I don't know if that's one of those things that she told the lie long enough that she just started believing that or if she's genuinely like mentally unstable enough to have been under delusions that when she's telling lies in 2005 and saying, I have this technology that works when her her employees are saying it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I, I wonder when that delusion started and what it stemmed from. Like if it started as like a, 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 a means to an end and then became buying her own hype or something else, or if this whole thing is just one long giant con game, like I don't know, and it, that's utterly fascinating to me. Just to just to comment on that briefly, you know, this is a personality type I've seen a lot in the startup world, right? Like you can't run a startup if you're a pessimist. You believe in your vision, yeah, you shade the truth. The difference with Elizabeth Holmes is, you know, I've seen this with people making startups around Boston to take on Facebook, right? Like they've got that delusion, that 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 eternally optimistic vision about what's gonna happen. The difference is when it's with healthcare. So I think I think like there's clearly something clearly broken in Elizabeth Holmes' moral compass, right? Because people right. were getting hurt and you know, I I feel like it hasn't really been touched on. None of these have really touched on the fact that her father like was part of Enron, right? Well, mm -hmm. well, uh, the one, the, the one. Well, some people have the one thing I would say in that. I originally thought there was maybe a stronger connection there than there would have been. The big thing though is he was like, he was like not important at all. Okay, like, like, like. Uh, no, because trust me, I would love nothing more than for there to be like some like family like this runs in the family stuff. 
Um, the only thing I could think her getting from Enron is seeing what happens when something bad collapses and the family suffers because by all accounts, especially in Bad Blood, it kind of makes it clear like he was really low on the totem pole. They lost he, everything. Okay. Yeah. And, I and, didn't and know that. Yeah. like, like, like it, it, it was in Bad Blood, like the, the guy that originally kind of sued them, like they had to stay in his, in one of his houses for a while or they were looking oh, for another no. place. Like, like it was like really kind of like a financially kind of terrible situation that happened to her out of formative age in her life. But he was nobody important. Like I wish that he was. But uh, the only scam that I've ever been more obsessed with than Theranos and MoviePass is Enron. And so, unfortunately, <laughs> I can say, and this pains me because I would love nothing more than for there to be like a thread line like he was he was really screwed in that. He was like one of those low-level employees who, like everybody else, was was working for something that he thought was legit. He was like a Theranos employee, right? Like he okay. thought he was working for something cool and, and, and that worked and then it turned out to be like mark-to-market uh, accounting. It kind of brings us to the same place, though, right? Like, she had these early uh, life experiences. In this case, it's really easy to see why she saw regulators as, like, someone innately not good, right? Someone she sure. could want mm-hmm. if that did that to her family. The the parts of this documentary, speaking of that again, that I like the most is bringing the historical context with Elizabeth uh, Holmes and, and uh, Thomas and Edison. I thought yeah. that was the strongest part of this because I didn't, I didn't know this about him. That like the the part in was it in Menlo Park where he did this, yeah. uh, basically doing all these patents and how when he was inventing the incandescent light bulb, it failed, it failed, it failed, it failed, it failed. Yeah, he was trying to get it ready, spinning all these plates with journalists, like delaying it, and finally as a breakthrough and tries to get it to work. I thought that was very strong. Um, that said, I agree with you on the details. This is like, it's like the story of Theranos light. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to disagree with you. I think if I had to pick uh, two things to read on this, uh, I would say I thought Rebecca's podcast was the most insightful. Yeah, I thought I John Carreyou's book uh, kind of got into the nuts and bolts of what happened a bit more. But I thought uh, I thought Rebecca's podcast series just had more of a, emotional oh, yeah. gravitas to no, it, if I that agree. makes I, sense. I, I, no, no yeah. I think it's the best. I just meant if you needed like a full overview of like everything just because yeah. you can accomplish more in a book than you can in a podcast. Like I would yeah. listen to the podcast first, frankly, but if you wanted to really get into it, like I think Bad Blood is it. Nick Bolton's articles for Vanity Fair are fine. They offer some color about, um, you know, Balto? her. Balto? Uh, Balto, which is great. <laughs> they, uh, and awesome. Mm-hmm. He was the one who broke the Sonny Balwani scandal. Like, he has some really juicy stuff, but I would put, yeah, I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll amend my thing. I would say uh, the podcast first, uh, but then then Bad Blood. Um, but this is worth watching. But you're right on the Edison thing. I think the big thing, and and again, this is, I, I am going to critique the, the documentary a little bit. The thing that kind of got me is they're making all these parallels, and it's almost begging the question, well, if Edison got away with it, then then what did she do that was so wrong? Well, Edison wasn't putting people's health in danger. Edison wasn't selling people, uh, you know, like blood tests that claimed to be regulated and that said that it can, you know, let you know if you have all these different diseases. People weren't getting diagnosed. People weren't making decisions on their health based on Edison's claims about the light bulb. Um, and, and uh, you know, look, He's might be he, everything I've read about him. He might have been the kind of guy who would have done that, but that's not what happened. And so it's one thing, like again, like the fake it till you make it ethos works just fine when you've got an iPhone on stage and the demo is barely working together, 
Um, and and it, by the grace of God, the demo goes perfectly, and Steve Jobs is is, is heralded a hero. Because guess what? In six months, they're going to actually ship that product, and it's going to work. And there might be some some kludgy things into it, and they might have to make some stuff ugly, but it works. And if mm-hmm. it doesn't work, then Apple's going to be embarrassed, and they're going to cancel it like Air Power. It's not going to be <laughs> a situation where you know people's health is at risk. Yep. Mm-hmm. To me, that's where no matter. Any defense of Elizabeth Holmes and any anything that anyone can say, oh, well, everyone does this, immediately goes out the window because that's where it becomes criminal and 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 not just criminal, but like pathological. That is a good note to leave it on. And hopefully you'll be interested in checking out that documentary if you've got HBO. I know I will finally, even if the podcast is better and I already listened to it. <laughs> No, you, this, you need to watch it. I'm sorry, but but your 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 cool aunt, your older sister Christina gave you an HBO account. For you a did. You blessed mode. me with HBO, and I'm blessing <laughs> you with Hover because this episode of Rocket is brought to you in part by our friends at Hover. Buying a domain name is the first step to building your online identity, and with Hover, you can find the domain that shows the world who you are and what you are passionate about. I again, I have to go back to the well of oh, maybe Anna Delphi. Maybe I can get you an Anna Delphi site, Christina. Oh, yeah. I was going to say because I already have Theranos.online. You have Theranos.online, and there's nothing better than oh, I, I got really excited for a second. I, I typed in Ann Delphi accidentally, and I saw that Ann Delphi was dot com was available. Um, and I was going to be like, <laughs> how did she not? But don't worry. <laughs> You could get AnnaDelvey.online to match your mm-hmm. Theranos.online, and it is only $4.99. It's on sale right now. Wow. Ooh. There's also AnnaDelvey.guru. Oh, that, and she is your guru, isn't she? No, Anna wait. biz. <gasps> oh, my God. $15.99. All right, I'm doing it. I knew it. All right. Wow. That was so easy. I just went to <laughs> hover.com and I typed in Anna Delvey after typing in Ann Delvey. And I got presented with a list of that URL that I wanted and all the TLDs that could be tacked onto it. That was so friggin' easy. So if you have something that you're passionate about, a word that represents your work, whatever, uh, it's really easy to brainstorm domains that you could buy for that, such as AnnaDelvey.biz. Uh, Hover also has no upsells, and they have a very clean user interface, making it very easy to search for things, know how much they cost, and purchase them. Hover Connect. There's also a feature called Hover Connect that allows you to connect your domain name to many website builders with just a few simple clicks. Useful. And who doesn't need a domain name? I'm pretty sure everyone has at least one, especially Christina, who has 10 and makes up for the rest of us. Uh, It's important for your domain to stand out. And that's why Hover has over 400 domain name extensions to choose from, which can help you brand yourself online. For example, the subtle brilliance of it being not just AnnaDelvey.com, not just AnnaDelvey.net.org, AnnaDelvey.biz truly Mm -hmm. captures a general mood. It captures a mood. Theranos.online captures a mood. And Scamster.me, which is another one I bought. <laughs> you brilliant, brilliant person. See, all of these these things mean something, and they can mean something for your brand online. Um, they also, of course, as Chris did mentioned, they have the .me option, 
which is a great option if you're showcasing something like a portfolio, uh, a personal website, for example. Uh, it's very popular for that purpose. The .me domains are actually on sale this month only at Hover for $9.99. That is 30 33, 33% off your first year. And nice. if you're new to Hover, you can get an additional 10% off any domain extensions for your first year. You can do that by going to hover.com slash rocket right now. That is H-O-V-E-R dot com slash rocket. It's time to get that portfolio website or the Anna Delvey fan website up and running. Thank you so much, Hover, for your support of this show and Relay FM. Hey, what are we up to this week? <laughs> uh, Christina, what are you up to this week? Oh my God, you guys, I'm not traveling for, what? well, for a few days. Okay, I will be in New York and Toronto next week. Uh, you but, uh, I'm not, I, b- b- wild no, person. No, I know, but no, 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 uh, no cross, uh, uh, no international travel. Um, so that's good. So yeah, so um, I'm, uh, you know, catching up on some work stuff, preparing for some talks I'm going to give in Toronto next week, hanging out. Uh, uh, oh, I'm reading um, this awesome book on the back story scandal, oral history of The View, which is awesome. What? So far. What? It's, it, what? It's, it's called Ladies Who Punch. <gasps> what? Oh my God. So good. Um, that I also, sounds amazing. Yeah, I got it today, and um, uh, I and and I really like it so far. Um, I, I I've just read uh, little snippets of it. I will also say I got another book, and I would like um, um I'm, once I finish reading it, we might uh, bring it up as a talk uh, topic on Rock, Rocket. I'd love to hear the audience's thoughts. Um, it came out uh, the other day. It's called um, uh, Thin Blue Lie, and Matt Stroud wrote it, and it is basically an investigation into how technology adopted by law enforcement may have actually made policing like worse, lazier, like more biased. And so it's kind of about the idea about how these technologies, you know, um, body cameras, you know, tasers, you know, all these, you know, other kind of uh, technologies that are supposed to be making uh, uh, police better have actually had a negative impact on, on, on policing. Um, it, it was sent to me. Uh, the publisher sent it to me. It arrived in my office. And uh, it, 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 it seems like, especially when we talk about ethics and AI and things like that, um, I'm going to read through it. But uh, so, so far, just kind of the, the, the little bit that, I, that I've seen on it. The, the, the Verge had an article about it today, actually. Yeah, I saw that. Um, you know, as someone that's going to be in a position to regulate this stuff, I added it to my read list immediately. So I'd love to do a topic on that after I finish the New Expanse novel and get to it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, I should read that one first, but the 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 view like oral history is going to have to take precedence. I'm sorry. It just <laughs> it's just you know. What are you up to this week, Brianna? Uh, I'm morning air power. We have <laughs> you know, we have a whole morning shrine in my bah, office. Bah, bah. I'm very very mm-hmm. sad about that. I wish Apple had made the choice to endanger Apple users' homes by catching them on fire. <laughs> oh this. no! No, I'm joking. Of course. Uh, let's see. What am I up to this week? Uh, we finished Q1 strong, guys. Our new finance manager. His name is Brandon. He is this incredibly likable, ridiculously talented dude. And if our fundraising numbers continue just at the rate that they're going, 
we're going to have well over a million dollars in the bank by election day. That's so awesome. That's so I, great. Uh, it took me so long to find the right team. <laughs> I finally got that. So uh, I actually took yesterday off because we put in so much work with uh, Q1. So really happy about that. And of course, we're getting ready to move. So excited about that. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I am probably going back to L.A. next week on another business trip, which I'm excited for. Um, And I think the first video of the series that we're shooting uh, will be coming out next week. So um, I'm also preparing for my boss to go on maternity leave. So (laughs) I'm going to miss her so much. Um, so I am recovering right now from PAX East, which is where I was oh last weekend. Um, I have to say, your pictures from that, you just seem like you were having a blast. I was having so. a very good time. Polygon Show did a live show there. Um, and then I was shooting my coworker Brian's panel, um, his Unraveled panel. And that went so well. And we managed to organize like signings and meet and greets for both of those, um, which was fantastic i got to meet so many people i met a couple rocket fans too Yay! oh my god so you so the rocket rules did apply they did not because in both i think i i one of them was in a place where i could have bought a drink but they already had a drink um and the other one i think i wasn't in a bar at all so i still have yet to buy a rocket fan a drink i did say i would and then i think i forgot uh so i'm sorry Rocket listeners uh, that I met in Boston, I failed you, and I'm to blame. Simone knows you a drink. Don't you forget it? Yeah, so. never forget. Hey, before we go on, as long as we're thanking Rocket fans, uh, I I'm, I've been searching my Twitter this whole show to find you. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting your name. There was a Rocket listener that went through and listened to every single freaking episode of our show, commuting back and forth in Boston. That is absolutely awesome, and we are so honored to have you as a yeah, listener. We find, so, yeah, seriously. I'll, I'll find their oh. name for next week. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I saw those tweets too, and they were so so nice and like oh, uplifting and a, a good yes. reminder of why we do this. So thank you yep. so much. My voice is shot. I'm gonna go to bed. Uh, <laughs> All right, Brianna, where can we find you online? Brianna Wu uh, for Twitter. Developer Brianna Wu on Facebook. If you want to support uh, my campaign, you can do that by going to supportbrianna.com. Nice. Christina, what about you? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagram. So you can find the videos I do at work, including a recent one I just did where we went uh, to some uh, cool uh, um, uh, drinks places around uh, Seattle in preparation for build at youtube.com slash Microsoft Developer. Oh, excellent. You can find my videos at youtube.com slash polygon. And you can find me on Twitter where I regrettably am back uh, at Doom Quasar. (laughs) Thanks so much, everyone, for listening to Rocket. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts because that helps other people find the podcast. Uh, Much like our friend on Twitter who listened to all of the episodes. I can't even believe they're not even timely. Um, So you too could help somebody else have that wonderful experience. Uh, by reviewing the show. Uh, You can also share it with your friends who haven't listened yet. That's really nice. Thank you, everyone. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.